Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail and a Harp. <laughs> my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic for The Wrap. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I write for Slash Film. Yeah, and you're pretty cool. And uh, this is oh. We've Got Mail. This is where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. And if I talk fast enough, Whitney just has to take the compliment. Uh, <laughs> here's how this works. You email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, or, if you'd prefer, you can send us a physical letter at our P.O. Box. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and uh, we answer your emails and answer your letters and ask answer questions and respond to critiques and hear your points of view on stuff that has come up on our podcast we love hearing from you we love this podcast we're sorry we weren't around last week uh, as you may have noticed from our social media or listening to other shows we've been sick we're we're on the mend and we're getting stronger every day so uh, we're back and let's do this let's just jump right in uh whitney do we have uh do we have any do we have any letters from the p.o box uh well we have something in the P.O. Box. Uh, our, our listeners have let us know, but because we've been sick and indoors, we haven't had a chance to get those letters out yet. So no. uh, there's, there's nothing right next to me at the moment, but there's something waiting. And <sighs> just know that if, if you've sent us a letter, it, it's here. It's here. Yeah. <laughs> we just we just go to we the can't, box and We get can't it. in good conscience leave our yeah. apartments. Uh, so we will get to so, them uh, next time, and we apologize for that. Yeah. Hopefully it's not too timely, but if it is, we'll apologize, and we'll, we'll read every single thing that's in our inbox, even if it's like a coupon for like a Jiffy <laughs> Lube. We'll read it, Although, we promise. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, one of the previous owners, uh, whoever like was the previous tenant in our, um, mm. our P.O. box like subscribe to some really weird ultra right wing conspiracy magazine. Oh God. About like, it's got all these like survivalist ads and articles about how, you know, like Joe Biden's uh, son. And it's all these like terrible, <laughs> terrible things. Uh, so we won't read that. <laughs> no, we're not going to read that. And uh, hmm. I'd like to thank everybody who let us know that. Uh, I think there was like a Newt Gingrich book or something that got advertised on our podcast for, for a few hours. Uh, like a week ago, we 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 called in and we had that ad removed. That is not us at all. We apologize if anyone had to hear some some BS that we do not support here at our show. Uh, but uh, let's let's uh, then let's just jump right into our emails, shall we? Okay. Um, uh, this is an email that um, one of our dear listeners has been waiting on for a while. So, um, uh, B. Peterson. Uh, she and I had a podcast together. Uh, we were doing a, a podcast all about the streaming service Ovid, which is one of the best tr- streaming services. Um, that podcast is at an end, uh, but, uh, well, I'll just read the email and it'll all be explained. <laughs> um, anyway, the email says, uh, hey friends, first things first, I'm doing well after spending 50 days in a mental health treatment facility. I'm not 100% or even 90%, but I'm stable and that's refreshing. That's awesome. the main Congratulations. Of, uh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank, thanks for being there and continuing be because we, we, yeah. we, we miss you. Um, yeah. 
But uh, B says, now onto the main event, I made a movie. Or rather, Matt Reeves and company made a movie and I futzed with it. Uh, way back in We've Got Mail number 69, nice, y'all read a letter of mine discussing fan edits and how they very, very rarely gain mainstream acceptance as legitimate versions of the film, uh, with Giorgio Moroder's Metropolis being the notable exce- exception. I'm trying to, I'm trying anyway, as I said I might, back in We've Got Mail number 114. The Batman, from this year, is, is in my personal estimation, not a successful film. While much of its aesthetic is admirable, its superficial trappings do not justify its long runtime. the mishandling of its female characters, both seen and unseen, are legion, and any interesting ideas it does bring up are in- invariably walked back. All that being said, I saw within The Batman much potential, and so I set about bringing that potential to the best of my ability. The Batman, colon, Silent Night, Night with a K, is a 97-minute recut of The Batman, making this the shortest live-action Batman film to date. It's a silent film with synced score. I think it's a lot better now, but I'm biased. People can find a link to the film in a pinned tweet of mine, and uh, B's Twitter account is at BlueGreyCloset, B-L-U-E-G-R-E-Y-C-L-O-S-E-T. Now I'm very curious to know what you think of the film and would love for you to discuss it. However, there is a conflict of interest here, as you know, honestly, I'm sure how big a conflict it is, as I'm not getting paid for any of this, and I'm not paying you, so we'll get to that. Uh, no, B is not paying us. No, of course not. So uh, here's what I'll say. This was, not a jo- this was not a job or passion project for me, rather an experiment. I'm interested to see how people, if people think if it did or did not work. I'm not seeking unqualified endorsement here. I'm looking for analysis, something you two are very good at. With that said, here's a list of prompts. Feel free to tackle them one at a time and let this serve as a spoiler-free warning for both versions as I'd appreciate for you to go into detail. Um, uh, yes, I watched this. I watched this cut of, uh, of Batman Silent Night. It took me a little bit, but, you know, I'm, I'm locked in, so that gave me a chance to sort of catch up a little bit. And uh, the Batman is now 97 minutes long. The original cut was like 182 or 183 minutes. Really so long film. Yeah. Really, really long movie. And yeah. the aesthetic it borrowed was that of David Fincher's 1995 film Seven. That was pretty much the... A lot the of thesis. it, yeah. A lot yeah. of it, yeah. Uh, they turned the Riddler, uh, previously played by Frank Gorshin, uh, into... And others. Was, no, just Frank Gorshin. He's the only one that ah, matters. okay. And, uh... Christ. Oh, uh, Okay, fine. Um, who who played the Riddler in the cartoon film? In the, the cartoon oh, it was a John film. Glover, I think. Oh, John Glover played. Okay, I think it was John. Then, Glover, yeah. then John, John Glover too. Uh, and others. Okay, fine, whatever. But the Riddler at is least now give the some credit to John Aston for God's sake. All right, John Aston too. Uh, the Riddler is now the Zodiac Killer in in the Matt Reeves film. Yeah. Uh, the Batman went on far too long. Uh, Specifically because it is one story, it doesn't have like it doesn't have B plots. It doesn't stray. It's just scene after scene of Batman investigating a single crime, pretty much, and uncovering a lot of corruption in Gotham City. If there, there, you could make an argument that like Catwoman kind of has a subplot, but it ties so directly into the main plot, it doesn't really feel like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Here's a few things that B did that I really, really appreciate. There were uh, several really big moments, and I'm going to talk spoilers on the Batman. 
Yeah, it's been out for a uh, while. It was immensely popular. It's on various streaming services. Uh, skip ahead a bit if you don't want to hear a little bit about spoilers. Because yeah. well, what I'll say about this is that we're friends with B. Peterson. Full disclosure, we know them. Yeah, he's yeah. worked with them directly. Uh, but and so we're not like giving like a proper review of this. But they did an interesting experiment, and we would like to at least raise awareness of it a little bit, so that yeah. if you want to check it out, you can, and indeed you can do so by going to at Blue Gray Closet on Twitter. Uh, there's uh, there's a moment in the Batman where uh, the Riddler has mailed a bomb to Wayne Manor because the Riddler wants to kill Bruce Wayne, not Batman. Mm-hmm. And the bomb goes off, and it looks for a mo. And uh, we get to see this uh, moment where Alfred, who's played by a uh, um, uh, Andy Circus, Andy Circus, uh, he opens the envelope and he sees the bomb, and uh, it's intercut with Batman experiencing something uh, somewhere else. And then when he kind of puts together the pieces that there's a bomb at his house, uh, we cut to the outside and it looks like the bomb had gone, and it turns out the bomb had gone off like an hour ago. Yeah. So like he, he was already too late. A little bit of trickery, and, kind, of a, kind of a Silence of the Lambs kind of uh, editing gag, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he goes there and Alfred is fine. Like he was able to dive out, like he's injured, but he was, he was able yeah. to dive out of the way and he survived. Uh, they made it look like Alfred was dead. Stakes are raised, Alfred's alive, stakes are taken away. There's a big revelation moment where Batman confronts the John Turturro character. Uh, I think his name is Falcone or Falcone. Mm-hmm. And he's like Fal- the head... uh, Fal- Falcone in this version, yeah. Yeah, he's and he's like the head gangster. He's the one in charge of all of like the criminal dealings mm-hmm. in Gotham City. And he reveals at one point that uh, he once did a criminal favor for Bruce Wayne's father. And Bruce Wayne's father actually knew all about the corruption and was actually kind of tied into it. And then I think Alfred comes in and says, no, he's not telling you the whole story. Your father was actually doing something nice. So stakes well, raised, yeah, stakes it, taken away. And, <laughs> exactly. No, actually, Alfred says that when uh, Bruce Wayne goes to visit him in the hospital. And Alfred's mm. just like, no, your dad did it because he was deeply ashamed of your mother's mental health issues. And that makes him a good man. And I'm like, mm, I'm not sure about that. But in any case, the movie acts like, oh, no, uh, Thomas Wayne was a saint among saints. And he, yeah, got, yeah. he got caught up in something over uh, over his head, but it wasn't entirely his fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the Silent Night cut uh, cuts out the idea that Thomas Wayne wasn't involved. Yeah. It, it actually just that. allows for the possibility that maybe Bruce Wayne's family isn't a whole bunch of saints. <laughs> and that's so and, much more daring than anything we got mm. in the actual thing. Like, we, when there's so many like moments in in this version where, by cutting out all of these like sort of backtracking, like yeah. this version of the Batman is comes across as more bold than this movie that everyone was saying was so bold, which I can appreciate, honestly. Yeah, and again, I, this is not to yeah. say that the, the the theatrical version is even worse or in, it's certainly not invalidated or anything like that. But this is clearly like a heavy, dramatically different edit, and when you make those choices, mm. it has a different impact, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There, and there's, there's a moment at the end, and uh, and B actually cut out the entirety of this, but mm. there was a scene where, uh, after the Riddler had been apprehended, mm. that uh, Batman confronts the Riddler in prison, mm. and it's, over the course of the... Uh, the conversation, it sounded as if the Riddler had figured out who Batman was, that Batman and yeah. Bruce Wayne were the same person. Which would have been a and, big deal. 
It would have been a big deal. And then uh, they kind of walk that back, and he says something else that only made it sound like he knew who Batman One was was when he really yeah. did. And so that and, whole bit's uh, gone. Yeah, B, can... B doesn't cut the I I nearly caught you bit. Like that whole scene is cut out. Yeah, like that whole element. Um, only not every line of dialogue has subtitles. Only a few choice ones have subtitles. Which is how silent movies uh, used to work. You know, people yeah. would communicate in silent movies, but they would only use title cards whenever they really needed to. So yeah. uh, there aren't title cards in this one, though. They use subtitles, which, per- mm. honestly, a part of me like kind of wishes the title cards were there. I think it would have had like kind of a classical look, but um, it yeah, works yeah. better, and maybe it flows a little better. It's hard to it's hard to argue the point. I, I suppose so. I, I think I think the intertitles would have added a lot of texture. Also, uh, she left it in color, which I was a little yeah. upset about. It's like, no, I, I want to. I know it's like really red, and uh, you know the mm-hmm. photography is really kind of gloomy and interesting. But I think a black and white cut of this in you know a silent film would have mm-hmm. pro- probably would have functioned a lot better. Well, Even it's also if, worth yeah. Don't try, well, and, well, uh, if. It had looked and felt a lot like, say, a Guy Madden film, where it looked like old film stock and looked a little bit scratchy as well. That granted, might have they're, they're working a movie with like Batman. The, granted, B is working the material that they had. Um, I, yeah. I would say this: uh, it's important to remember that silent films weren't necessarily all black and white. A lot of them were tinted or uh, yeah. had color painted on. Uh, and I think tinting might have actually been a more effective uh, 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 take in this, where, you know, for scenes that are in the movie predominantly black and red, just absolutely drain out everything but the red. Like, mm. for example, might have been kind of cool. Um, there's a couple of things that uh, that are changed in this version that are, that are I think, really clever. I think uh, ba- Catwoman's uh, motivation is much more streamlined. In this mm. version, I, I I I dig that. I think that's cool. What I'm most impressed by, honestly, is this was a three hour movie. Mm. Uh, if you only ever saw this Silent Night version, I honestly think you would ask yourself, how did they fit another hour in there? <laughs> because it's pretty tight. Like the majority of like half. the first act, it's, it's almost the, half like the, the length. The majority of like the first act is intact because it's all set up and it's mostly mm. there. But it's I, I was watching this and I was like, "Wait, what did they cut? Hold on, hold on." Well, hmm. and I was kind some, of impressed. Uh, and, I, and I think it shows, the, uh, if nothing else, as a little experiment, just how much fat there is on almost any Hollywood movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just there, how much there's... is like completely just like just a, a tiny little bits of padding that you mm-hmm. kind of don't need. Maybe they add texture, or maybe they add personality, or maybe mm-hmm. they're just there for because you're going after a different pace. But if you just wanted to tell the most streamlined version of these stories, you could do so so much more efficiently yeah. than most um, Hollywood movies. Not, not just the Batman. Yeah, uh, something that that B cut uh, notably was Peter Sarsgaard. Um, Peter Sarsgaard has this entire subplot, uh, I guess, a, a kind of a subplot, but you know, related to the main plot, where uh, Batman and Catwoman kind of team up, and uh, he sends her into a club, and uh, she has like a camera in her uh, contact lens, and she has this conversation with Peter Sarsgaard. He's later put into a truck, and they bomb a funeral, and there's this big tense moment where he has to defuse the bomb and confess all this yeah. stuff. All of that stuff was cut his entire well, character was cut almost and, pretty much uh, yeah. yeah he does not he, he he does not appear on camera in this movie and in fact I, uh 
yeah. be even kind of cheekily when his credit came up at the end, put a little subtitle that said, lol, no. Uh, <laughs> like, nope, not anymore. I, the, Cut the, you out. The, the bit that I don't want to reveal, because if anyone wants to check this out, and again, this mm. is just an experiment, this is just for fun, and this is, I think, actually a work of interesting criticism. Yeah. When you just see, like, you know, just sort of an example, because everyone's always just like, well, what would you do differently? And one could potentially do something like this if one had the inclination mm-hmm. and the time and uh, the programs necessary to do so, to say, okay, I'll take a pass at it and I'll just give you an idea of, like, it might have worked differently. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the ending of the Batman Silent Night, the, the actual ending, which is a scene mm-hmm. that is currently in the movie. Like you can see it in the, th- in the thing, but then the movie moves past it so quickly that yeah. this moment, which is supposed to have, I think, a lot of resonance, kind of doesn't really. And then I think by ending it on a moment that's almost, it almost turns it into a joke. It almost <laughs> turns it into like a twisted... Well, it's it's sat- a little bit of a- it's a tragic ending instead of a triumphant one, and I, it, I like that tra- better too. Like it's it's not not that like the Riddler like wins or anything like that, but like it's it's it basically makes the whole movie about a point that is a little more salient than Bruce Wayne needs to have better PR as Batman, which unfortunately mm-hmm. is kind of what the movie ultimately comes down to at the end. It's like, oh, I was scaring people too much, and maybe it'd be better if I was a little more inspirational. And I'm like you spent three hours on that. <laughs> Whereas I feel that the ending that the silent night has is such a good idea to end it. Like right there. You don't need any more. Mm. Like it actually works really, really nice. So I'm going to say this about the Batman silent night. We're not reviewing it. We're just talking about some interesting choices that were made. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to check it out for yourself, you can. Uh, I think it's an interesting take on the material. I think it is an act of criticism. And I can respect it on that level, if even if it was only that level. But I think interesting choices are made, and it's kind of fun to see what people do with art once it is out of the creator's hands. Mm-hmm. Much as, you know, and you can see this in everything, like little microwaves, like, um, like if you go on, like, I don't know, Redbubble or Public, and you see that people will take pre-existing characters or movies and they'll like sort of morph them into their own personal style or combine them with other works and things just become a little transformative and this is a more direct version of that but uh, i think that's interesting and exciting when done well i know people who have done like uh uh fan edits that turned the obi-wan kenobi six episode series into like one epic movie which i'll bet works i haven't i haven't watched that cut but i bet that works Mm -hmm. fine like that makes I, sense to me, uh, saw, and uh, so uh, I I think this is interesting work, and uh, yeah, please check it out if you have any interest. I guess you I, know again, seen, it's it's uh, we're it, it's just as an experiment. It's just as a project. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've seen yeah. fan edits uh, like this in the past. Um, at at Cinephile Video, uh, just somebody came by and dropped off a DVD of an edit of uh, of all things uh, the Phantom Menace, the Star Wars movie. Oh, is this the one that and cut out Jar Jar? It, it didn't cut out Jar Jar. It actually cut out, a, like, sh- it, it's another thing that shortened it to about 90 minutes, so it actually cut mm. off a lot of the fat. There's a lot less sort of talky bits that are, you know, mm. story-oriented, but really kind of slowed on the pace. And uh, they also, like, redubbed all of the alien characters into, like, their own alien languages. 
So ah. it feels like a, a little bit more uh, science fiction-y. And, um, well, also, in some cases, those aliens are speaking in not very respectful, like... Yeah, uh, yeah, the, the er, Nemoidians. Like uh, yeah, it's were... not a great accent. A lot of people said that was offensive. So mm-hmm. one could make the argument that that's, you know, again, an act of criticism. That wasn't mm-hmm. cool. You didn't yeah. have uh, to do that, you know? Uh, another uh, another person I know uh, did a um, uh, fan edit of... Uh, Inland Empire, the David Lynch movie, which is also okay. a film that's like three hours in length, and uh, also cut that one down to about 90, 95 minutes. And okay. I remember he said at, uh, and he screened it. He had it at like at a theater with. It was just like friends. He didn't open it to the public. He wasn't trying to make money not, yeah. off of David Lynch. And nor, said, nor should anyone do that with a fan edit. Obviously, these are just projects no, for no, fun. No. That's um, the reason why I keep saying that. I want to make sure that's clear. We don't support just, you know. Hmm that kind of exploitation is it's an interesting project to do that's all but uh yeah he 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 said that this was uh an attempt not to make a great film because you know inland empire already exists but it is trying to make it into a more kind of accessible movie and i feel like he kind of did it okay. i think one of the big points of something like inland empire is that it does sprawl that there's like little asides there's short films that are sort of dropped in the middle that don't relate to other things uh and that's kind of just the way it was structured. It was the way David Lynch kind of dreamed it out. Uh, but the way he constructed it actually does feel like a, a feature film. It's a little bit more, um, uh, like he said, a little bit more accessible. Yeah. I feel like I feel like fan edits is something that maybe, you know, obviously only some people actually take the time to actually do it. But I feel like on some level, everyone does it a little bit. Hmm. Even if it's just in your memory. When you remember a movie, and maybe it's been a long time, since you've seen it and you kind of like mentally delete the bits that weren't interesting to you Mm. and the parts that did coalesce in your head are the parts that feel like that's the movie to you and maybe they're a little skewed maybe they're not entirely accurate or maybe your uh a particular lens through which you view the film uh sort of tints the entire experience and makes it a little different so that when you actually watch the movie again someday you're like oh wait that's not the movie i remember it's a little Mm. different yeah, and I feel like a fan edit is just sort of making that version of the film that you can see in your head or maybe the version that you're like oh it's so close if they just change one or two things like you can show other people what you envision which is interesting again there's a danger of exploitation you don't want to have people like going around making money off of these things but like it's an interesting experiment uh, and again I can definitely appreciate it as a work of criticism mm-hmm. uh, we should move on Okay. so let's do that because we talked about this for a bit all right. Um, here is a letter from Anna. Hello, Anna. Um, and hi, this, Anna. this is just a, a quick check-in. It says, just saying hi. Uh, dear Bibbs and Whitney, I've been listening to you for six, seven years and support you on wow. Patreon for, I guess, about five. Wow, thank you. I appreciate that. But since February 24th, when my country... <laughs> When my country of birth started a war, I can only okay. listen to Russian slash Ukrainian podcasts about the war. I so much hope the war will end soon and I will be able to enjoy you guys digressing and suffering through bad movies and TV shows and being best friends and Luca not getting off the table and all of that again. <laughs> but for now, I wanted to tell you I miss you and I hope you're doing fine as well as your partner's kids, cats. Oh, and bitch about the fact that Paramount slash CBS decided they don't want any money from European Trekkies. We still don't have a proper legal access to season four of Star Trek Discovery, not to mention Strange New Worlds. Sincerely yours, Anna. Um, Oh, Uh, golly. The the whole... 
first of all, war sucks. War yeah. war is is the ultimate failing of civilization. It's uh, it's the opposite of creation, and. Uh, so that 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 is happening, and that it, that is having so many huge ripples across the world, sucks for everyone, and that it's mm-hmm. sort of led led to so much horribles. Uh, for that, we go out. Um, our heart goes out to you. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, most horrendous of all is Star Trek is not available globally. That's that uh, that's not even funny. <laughs> but it's true that is that is annoying. <laughs> And and that's then mm. that stinks. And I'm sorry. And hopefully that you hope maybe you can hear this now. I don't know, but like, um, thank you for reaching out to us and to anyone uh, in similar situations. If you get to this podcast, we we've missed you, and we again. I wish we could. If I could hand deliver the podcasts, I would. I would. Mm, yeah. Uh, so that that I'm I'm sorry about that. But thank you for checking in and. I think it's important to remember because we get the news cycles work so fast nowadays Mm. and it's so easy to get wrapped up in the newest dangers and scandals and climate change fiascos and political turmoil that we forget that many of these stories that are hugely impactful, they don't go away just because we moved on to another headline for a while. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of really bad things are still happening all over the world, and there's still a crisis in the Ukraine, and um, we 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 shouldn't forget that, and we definitely shouldn't uh, 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 go too long without saying, you know, again, our support for everyone in the Ukraine right now, and everyone who <laughs> has gets has been wrapped up in this terrible situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. We we don't want to we, we don't want to speak out of school. It's not our field of expertise or anything. But thank you for reaching out, and I'm glad that we've been able to provide some entertainment when we when we could, and hopefully these things will be resolved, hopefully very soon. Hmm. Yeah. <sighs> um, let's go to another letter. Um, let's here's a letter okay. from Ray. Hello, Ray. Um, Hi, it Ray. Says, and we're we're a little behind on our letters, so these are all throughout. Pretty much all throughout the month of July, so we're yeah, we're, we're, we're bouncing a, a, around a bit to try to a like of, get a to a, a, a backlog get, here. But uh, it says, a hi, Bibbs and Whitney. Uh, on the last we've got mail, there was a discussion about the kinds of movies people like to watch or music they listen to when they're feeling down or depressed. I'm definitely the kind of person that prefers to lean into comfort in an attempt to feel better rather than leaning into things that fit the bleak and depressed mood I'm already in. I've noticed, however, that I have a very pre- a particular type of movie that I find comforting, and that is the, quote, everything is horrible, but it turns out at least kind of okay in the end movie. These Ah. may include uh, varying degrees of comedy or action. There's probably a feeling of catharsis involved in the struggle overcome, as well as hope and uplifting feelings when things turn out okay in the end, and that's why I find what I find comforting about them. Examples from my own personal movie list uh, include, but are not limited to, Deep Impact. The Martian, Die Hard, 28 mm-hmm. Days Later, and Signs. Uh, note that I'm not lauding any of these movies as the pinnacle of cinema. Your opinions on their quality may vary, but they are movies that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I find it very amusing that what different people find comfort in. On the top of your, off the top of your heads, would you recommend any other random everything is hard and or horrible but turns out okay in the end movies? And Bibbs, since you're also in the comfort movie rather than in the bleak cinema category, what types of genres of movies or other media are your go-to, uh, do your go-tos tend to fall into? Uh, much love to you both, and Luca, and yay for the new kitty, Dante, signed Ray. 
Uh, Ray, thank you so much. Uh, you're you're describing a, a genre that I'm actually very very fond of, um, and it, to, to my best of my knowledge, it's never been properly codified. My dad called it the poor bastard genre, uh, which hmm. is basically the protagonist or protagonists of the story. Everything goes wrong to the extent that it's not just a bad day; it's like the filmmaker has it out for them. Like the filmmaker hmm. is like. Determined to ruin their lives, and you the 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 heroism this the the catharsis uh, comes from persevering, still trying, and getting to the end of the film. Uh, I love a lot of movies in this. They don't always end happily. Sometimes it's just a matter of surviving, uh, which you might see in a film like Evil Dead Two or uh -huh. Martin Scorsese's After Hours. Um, Sam Raimi has made a bit of a, 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 a cottage industry of this. I think Spider-Man 2 in particular is one of these movies where it's basically how absolutely impossible can I make it for Spider-Man in that movie? <laughs> so that at the end of the movie, yeah. when he decides he's just going to be Spider-Man, embrace who he is, and save the day, it is like, oh, thank God. Oh, what a relief. It's so well done. <laughs> I'm also really, really fond of a movie, and it's it's a bit of a more of a like a bit more of a dark comedy because like the main characters are are criminals, but they're likable criminals. Wow. Um, there's a really, really wonderful movie called Quick Change, starring and directed by <laughs> Bill Murray. I think he, I think he co-directed it. Um, at the beginning of the movie, Bill Murray, Gina Davis, and Randy Quaid pull off the perfect bank heist. Like, and it, they, they show got you the whole heist. To... It's a big part of the movie. Oh yeah. It's the whole first act of the movie. It's just this absolutely impeccable, precision heist. Everything goes perfectly. The only thing that goes wrong is the getaway. And the getaway takes the majority of the movie because every single thing that could possibly go wrong with the getaway goes absolutely horribly wrong. And they're just desperately trying to get out of New York City before the cops find hmm. them. Uh, and just watching Bill Murray gradually like lose his shit... Yeah. As like, because there's a bit, like for example, there's a bit in it where like all they got to do to get to the airport and get on a plane is get on a bus. Here's a bus. It's the only bus that's going to get us there in time, but the bus driver insists on exact change. They do not mm -hmm. have exact change. The bus driver says they have he millions will be of dollars, this bus. but they don't have the, exact change. Yeah, they, they literally have millions of dollars strapped to their body, but they don't have exact change. So Bill Murray says, "How long? How long can you wait?" And the guy says, "I'm only allowed to wait here for 90 seconds, or something to that mm -hmm. effect." So Bill Murray like runs off the bus, goes into a liquor store. There's one person in front of him at the liquor store, and it's like an old lady who is paying with pennies. And it's just like, oh, come on! <laughs> come on! Like, it's ever, and, and it's just, it's absolutely glorious uh, in, in every uh, respect. I, I really love Quick Change. Um, for movie, the, the thing about, like, a lot of those, what did your dad call them? The, the, the poor bastard the, movies? He called them poor bastard movies. I'm not a huge fan right. of that of that term, but that was what he called right. them, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, there are a lot of movies like that that I can't watch just because they're far too stressful. Uh, case in point, you know, a lot of people like um, uh, like the Out of Towners, uh, the original Out of Town, oh, yeah. with Jack Lemmon. I hear you. Uh, that's a movie about a, a fellow who's trying to take a trip to New York, and New York just tries to murder him. He like they can't land for a long time. It's just about frustration after frustration, and 
excuse me. They they just get the the central couple in the movie just get more and more frustrated with every turn. You know, their their mm. money gets stolen. Just there's garbage everywhere. They can't concentrate on what they're doing. Their luggage is taken. They, their hotel doesn't go through. Uh, and I don't find that funny. <laughs> and mm. I I don't. And there's not a triumph big enough to warrant all of that suffering. It um, is I've, a difficult I've, balance. It is yeah, difficult because you, you got to make sure that the. It's also tricky because sometimes the protagonist can be so unlikable you don't care that bad things are happening to them. This happened with that uh, Jonah Hill comedy, The Sitter. Uh, I didn't which see is the a, Sitter, but which uh, is, it's basically a remake of uh, another movie, which Adventures is basically about the same yeah. thing. Yeah, it's basically a remake of Adventures in Babysitting. Although I don't know if it's official or not, uh, Adventures in Babysitting is actually a good-natured film. Which is very, very much we. She's babysitting some kids. Her friend is stranded in the big city. She has to go pick up her friend, and then everything that could possibly go wrong does. But they're mm. good natured, so you want to pers- you you want that to persevere. Uh, Jonah Hill is such an asshole in the sitter. You don't want him to persevere. Okay. So the, the the balance the balance can easily be thrown off. I also find like some of them are just mean spirited. Like it doesn't feel like they're in good fun. It feels like I'm supposed to be enjoying the pain not the yeah. perseverance like i feel like meet the parents is like that where i just find the especially the original i've never actually seen the sequels but like the original meet the parents is just like i'm supposed to i feel like i'm supposed to enjoy this guy keeping trying to win mm. robert de niro over but instead the movie seems to think i'm supposed to enjoy him suffering and i don't think that's the same thing yeah. which you know there there there's a good way to make that kind of a movie as well Sure. Uh, just sort of the the idea of somebody getting constantly getting their comeuppance and never really uh, putting things together that they need to behave differently. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Because because that yeah. then then it's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Here's someone who actually like deserves this punishment. Yeah. Because yeah. then it's a that's a very different kind of catharsis. Mm. You know, it's actually just funny. One of my favorite comedies is this exact genre, but in reverse, and it shouldn't work. Like, there's no conceivable reason why this concept should work, but it does. And it's a Richard Dreyfus comedy called Let It Ride. Mm. Uh, Let It Ride stars Richard Dreyfus as uh, a lifelong gambler, and his girlfriend, who is a Terry Gar Glenn Headley. His girlfriend is basically, like, at the end of a rope, she's like, I, you can never gamble again or through. And on that day, his friend, who's a cab driver, happens to be like driving a guy who's rigging a horse race. So he knows who's going to win. It's a sure thing. So he decides to do it, and that sets him on the most unusual path, (laughs) the one day in his life where he cannot lose. Mm. Every single thing he does goes right. And believe it or not, they managed to get a lot of suspense and drama and comedy out of it. Like, that shouldn't be interesting. It is absolutely exciting and wonderful. I love it to pieces. Yeah. yeah. uh, If you want a a comedy film about everything going wrong, Mm. there is a... a Peter Bogdanovich made a really wonderful film about, like, the world's worst... Uh, play production. It's called Noises oh, Off. I love this and, movie. This movie's great. No- Noises Off is based on a play. It was meant to be seen on a stage, but uh, uh, Peter Bogdanovich really uh, keyed into making that work and timing it out on film to a sublime slapstick comedy that is really on the level of something like Clue. I feel like people don't talk about uh, Noises Off quite enough. Uh, no. But yeah, it's, it's about uh, Michael Caine is the director of this uh, troupe. The troupe includes... 
Carol Burnett and Julie Julie Haggerty is the the head of stage crew. Uh, Dan Holt Elliott, uh, Christopher Reeve is in it. Uh, John Ritter is in it, and it's like the last rehearsal before they're putting it on, and they still don't have it. They still don't know how to time this out. They have all these really kind of weird questions, and it's this weird conflict of personalities and all of the internal dramas that are manifesting themselves on stage. And we get to see the the play gone through multiple times and just gets worse each time. And the worse it gets, the funnier it is. That's something that I really love because I've been in high school. I was part of a lot of theater projects. So mm. I've, I can relate to sort of that kind of stress. And that oh, it feels is pretty, funny it feels pretty yeah. real, even though it's absurd. Like it, if you've no. been in like, I, there was an, I forget what the exact expression is, but basically the old, the old adage was whenever I did theater in high school or college was, uh, if you have a terrible dress rehearsal, it's going to be a great play. Oh. So, I've had I've had nothing but terrible dress rehearsals. <laughs> They're <laughs> always a mess, and so it feels really genuine, even though it's wonderfully the, the dialogue is sparkling and the comic the comic timing is brilliant. Am I the only person? I I might be. Am I the mm. only person who really likes the Sylvester Stallone comedy Oscar? Uh, yeah, you're the only one. Okay, well I stand by it. I actually like Oscar a lot. Uh, uh, Oscar stars Sylvester Stallone. As a gangster in like the Prohibition era Named Snaps Provolone And uh, Snaps is trying to go legit And this is all about the day When he's trying to go legit Trying not to do anything illegal Trying to do everything right And then it turns out that his daughter Played by Marissa Tomei uh, Has gotten pregnant By their chauffeur, a guy named Oscar And that sends his entire day to hell as he tries to find this Oscar guy, tries to get her married mm. to any guy she possibly can. Uh, people who are coming in to like do like actual legitimate business keep running into his various like ex-hitmen who are trying to stay on the straight and narrow, but there's a whole lot of misunderstandings. Meanwhile, the feds are like watching from across the street and misinterpreting everything. I actually think it's got a really fun, snappy energy to it, so I like that one uh, right. quite a bit, even though most people don't. <laughs> um, to answer the other question though Real real fast uh, Like what movies do I watch uh, To unwind Or when I'm dealing with a lot of stress And I just want to uh, relax uh, Dance movies are a great example of this uh, mm. Step Up And the various films of its ilk There's a narrative simplicity to them That I really admire And it's easy to fall into Musical numbers basically uh, Music movies in general are also really really great A good concert movie like uh, Stop Making Sense or The Last Waltz Is another uh, example Of something I would put on When I'm okay. really stressed or depressed um, So yeah, hopefully that helps I don't know Alright um, um, we should move on uh, Here's a question for you William uh, This one comes from Jeremy okay. It says uh, hey guys so, on critically reclaimed episodes on Tammy and the T-Rex, or was it Tanny and the Teenage T-Rex, Bibbs mentioned his desire to meet Ronald McDonald when he was six, so he could ask him questions about the Fry Guys and Grimace. Ah. I really want to know what those questions are, Bibbs. <laughs> I think your fans deserve no need to know what the brain of six-year-old William deemed so important that it was worth suffering a shitty hamburger for the chance to meet... <laughs> A rather murder house looking clown. Sincerely, Jeremy. William, okay. what what did you need to know right. about the little, Fry Guys and about Grimace? A little, little bit of context here in case you missed the episode we did on Tammy and the T-Rex. Mm -hmm. uh, the director of Tammy and the T-Rex directed a film called Mac and Me, which was sponsored by McDonald's, like heavy McDonald's marketing in it. 
And there's a scene in that movie where they just happen to go to a McDonald's and there happens to be like a birthday party attended by Ronald McDonald. Uh-huh. And the implication in the movie is that this isn't weird. Like, this is just a normal thing that happens at McDonald's. So when I was a kid, I thought if I went to McDonald's often enough, eventually I'd just run into Ronald McDonald. Hmm. Uh, that never happened. <laughs> they never yeah. had, like, themed, costumed people at the McDonald's. You'd think they would have during that heyday of Ronald McDonald and Mayor McCheese and the Fry Guys and stuff, but they didn't. Uh, and I mentioned that I would have liked to have asked Ronald McDonald questions. Now, if <laughs> if if this is this is an this is an excellent uh, uh, question, and I have to think back a little bit. Um, I definitely would have asked, and this is just a kid question for clowns: if Ronald McDonald's feet are actually that big, or if they like padded the shoes. Uh, that's just a general curiosity thing. I would also like to ask if uh, different colored Fry Guys taste different. <laughs> like, Fry Guys were like these little, like almost like these koosh balls, but they were made of giant French fries, and they had googly eyes and feet, and they would walk around, but they're made of food, right? So, like, I assumed you could I just, like, pluck just... a fry off of it and eat it. So, like, does the blue Fry Guy taste different from the green Fry Guy? I think, William, I think... Why don't we they... have those available at McDonald's, those different flavors? I think they just looked like fries. I think if you were to pluck one of those strands off of a Fry Guy, they would bleed out of the strand. Well, like, that would be good to know, wouldn't it? Yeah. That way I don't commit, like, a horrible faux pas on the day that, like, let's say I go to McDonald's and a fry guy is there. Okay. <laughs> wouldn't that be embarrassing? I, I suppose so. I suppose if I go to a McDonald's, first of all, why am I there? But uh -huh. if I go there and this anthropomorphic eyeball creature walks up and it's clearly made of food, yeah, my first mm -hmm. instinct is to eat it. I don't think that way when I see a cow and that thing's made of food. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Exactly, but now, so these things are made of, like, prepared food. Like, does Mayor McCheese hmm. always have the same burger, or does he get that re replaced when it starts to smell? No, it, 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 his, his bodily humors refresh the meat. Um, <laughs> bodily humors? You heard me. Wow, uh, I heard you. <laughs> I wish I hadn't, but I heard you. Here's my theory, uh, a Grimace, the big purple thing, mm. Grimace is an invertebrate, yeah. and and Grimace is like, like if you were to okay. slice Grimace open, there would be no bones, it would just be like soft white chicken meat all the way through. Like, I think he's I, a I, giant I, nugget. That was, that was my theory always, was mm. that he was a nugget or a pickle. And that's another thing I would, of course, ask is, what is the Grimace really? Uh -huh. And I suspect Ronald McDonald, being a cool guy, we all saw that, like, commercial where like that one kid couldn't go ice skating and he took him ice skating because he's a cool guy like ronald mcdonald's a pretty chill dude yes i suspect ronald mcdonald would say that's a deeply personal question and you shouldn't ask that of the grimace that, that that's the grimace's choice okay to, to let the world know uh but i also suspect that he is some sort of invertebrate and if you did cut him open there would be some kind of like some kind of like silica Inside, some like, kind like, of like, like yeah, a like, bunch of little, like a, little balls would spill out. Yeah, like well, like a little sort of like a fiberglass endoskeleton, basically. Like it just like he is, he definitely has a form. Okay, but it's clearly like gelatinous to an extent. It's so, sort of like that, that thing case, underneath Scarlett Johansson's yeah. skin and under the skin. Mm -hmm. I would also like to know uh, Mayor McCheese, who's a cheeseburger, who is the mayor. Uh -huh. Got it. Who did he run against? Uh, uh, like he's got, he had to be elected. Was it Birdie? Was it Ronald? Who? And if so, what were their different platforms? 
uh, he ran against the Perilous Purple Pie Man of Porcupine Peak, and uh, the Perilous Purple Pie Man was a little too pie-centric for uh, the, the okay. denizens of McDonald's land. Okay, another question. Have you ever tried just, like, giving the Hamburglar hamburgers? And then well, he wouldn't be an outcast. He, he wouldn't like, be a burglar then. He would just... If you, I if realize you take away that, his but ability like he's, to he's burgle... He's a social outcast. A, yeah, but you take away his identity. Social outcast is where he's comfortable. Have you considered that he likes being a social outcast? Okay, well, then that's... that. You know what? That's an excellent point. My mm. other question is, if you took off the Hamburglar's mask... <laughs> Yes. Wouldn't he look like Alfred Newman from the from Mad Magazine? Because I think he would. And are they indeed the same guy? No, no. Alf- Alfred E. Newman would be upfront about that sort of thing. Mm. They, they do. They do have similarly mm. cherubic faces, though. I see why you would make I, that. that. I just mistake. feel like I just feel like it's possible. Yeah. Anyway, these are some of the questions I might have asked Ronald McDonald. Thank you for asking. Okay. <laughs> and I, 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 I jest, but seriously, most of those are stuff I probably would have asked Ronald McDonald when I was a kid. Also, um, um, at least the, the Fry Guys. At least the Fry Guys and Grimace. Yeah. I would have at least asked those two. Having all said right. all that, I think you should read Eric Schlosser's book, Fast Food Nation, which talks about just the, the horrendous practices that McDonald goes through to get their food to you and their, their kind of no, weird spotty history. It's a really fascinating book. I, I'm I'm aware of it, but yeah, if anyone at home hasn't, indeed. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on. All right, here's a letter from Jinxie, and uh, this addresses something that uh, that we complain about kind of recently. It says, uh, "Dear Whitney and Bibbs, the subject of not liking Captain America: The Winter Soldier because of mm. the Nazi, uh, sorry, Hydra infiltration has come up a few times on your podcast. This is actually right. one of the few things that I think Marvel got right because it's based on actual history." Well, okay. okay. That's um, an interesting point. That's a fair point, and I'll, I'll let them okay. illuminate this, because uh, this is true, actually. Yeah. Once World War II was over, the United States government welcomed with open arms uh, over 600 Nazi scientists and engineers. It was called Operation Paperclip. Uh, this, I actually knew about Operation Paperclip. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie shows it mirrors through uh, news clips and documents. Excuse me, documents where you see good, upstanding people like Peggy Carter working side to side with the Hydra scientist Zola. In reality, perhaps uh, one of the best-known Nazi scientists to join America was Werner von Braun. I know about Werner von Braun. Uh, He helped get men on the moon with his rocket designs. He was also one of the Nazi scientists who came up with the V-2 rockets used to bomb England and used uh, work camps to build them. An administrator discovered his history, and it was mostly just shrugged off. The reason I think this is meant to parallel history is because it suggested that it's the same kind of program. Peggy knew what sort of man Zola was, and she continued working with S.H.I.E.L.D., which means the MCU America isn't innocent. It welcomed Hydra with open arms for technological supremacy over its enemies. Of course, I don't think they do a great job of exploring this, except for a few nods, such as Nick Fury being willing to let that gunship that would just kill people on a certain list be built and supported using it. It's only when not the right people have it that he suddenly has an issue. That's mostly just quick lines, though. Uh, Maybe I just wanted to talk about Operation Paperclip, because it's something that doesn't get covered a lot. My first introduction was mostly due to my studying space history for my thesis. Just wanted to give my two cents. Jinxie. Um, uh, That's actually all... I I knew about Werner von Braun. I actually learned about Werner von von Braun through a a Tom Lehrer song when I was 12. um, Because in the 1960s, yeah, he was uh, helping to build rockets in America, but he uh, had a pretty sketchy history... Uh, about working with the Nazi party. That's putting it really mildly. Yeah. yeah that's putting it real mildly. Uh, so, uh, 
my issue with uh with the winter soldier though it isn't so much that uh they kind of hand wave this welcoming of of nazis into the government it's that it those nazis uh weren't just working with shields that's that's not the the issue in the winter soldier that nazis and and the government were working together it's that the nazis were secretly proliferating throughout and trying to undermine the government and the big conspiracy was it turns out that there's all of these secret super nazis hiding out in the government who have been manipulating the government for decades making sure that the government do evil things just because they're into evil and the extension from that was it seemed to be looking at a lot of uh, grievous crimes that the U.S. government did historically commit of their own volition mm -hmm. and put the blame on this fictional Nazi group. And I, I feel like yeah. that's a little bit uh, a little bit irresponsible. Like it's trying to say that the, the U.S. government was somehow peerless and all of the wicked things it did were uh, perpetuated by this secret Nazi cabal. Yeah, I agree with you on on on, on that mm -hmm. point, and I think I think it boils down to two fundamental things. And again, I actually like Winter Soldier. I think it's a good mm -hmm. movie, but I do think that in bringing this subject up, they had a responsibility to tackle it as best they could, and I don't think they did. Mm -hmm. I think there's two elements to it. One, as you elucidated, uh, and, and again, Operation Paperclip, very real thing. Look it up. Mm -hmm. Pretty shameful chapter in our history. Uh, they. Uh, uh, Okay, first off, the American government has done many, many horrible things over the course of its history, including to this day. Mm. And by basically saying, no, it was it was Hydra doing all the bad stuff, you're basically saying that the American government is fundamentally good. It was only these bad actors working from within, even though people with terrible agendas many times, uh, racist, homophobic, mm. sexist, xenophobic, and all other kinds of horrible things besides... We didn't need other people to do that. Americans yeah, were doing yeah. that all all by themselves. So that right there is kind of letting America off the hook, at least yeah. tacitly. And so that's not really doing mm. it great. But the other thing is, is that even when you allow that, again, Operation Paperclip, very, very real. Nazis, mm. former Nazis, or just plain Nazis were allowed into American programs, ostensibly because we thought we could exploit them. Uh when you make it Hydra instead of the Nazis, mm -hmm. you change it at least a little, and I think in a prominent, I think in a significant way, because Hydra, although it was a Nazi splinter cell mm -hmm. in Captain America: The First Avengers, uh, we never actually got a clear idea of their ethos, other than fascism and supremacy. We yeah, know we, what we the Nazis that, did to yeah. vast swaths of people in a truly horrifying and terrible way, whereas Hydra, a little less specific in some regards, and as a result, they come across as the more PG-13 friendly version of the yeah. Nazis, and so, they were, they, so you're not even really dealing with the Nazi thing as clearly as you could, I think, yeah, and I think I, that's I the, like, at um, least to the film's detriment a little, yeah. In... Uh, when the, the when the Hydra and Red Skull and Captain America first were like making it big in comics in the nineteen forties, I can understand why they would want, uh, because you can only kill Hitler once, right? In the comics, right? You, you yeah. do that and it's done. Uh, but when it comes to 
these secret supervillains, you can write more stories. So I understand why uh, a comic book writers might need to invent this secret cabal just for storytelling purposes. Uh, yeah. It let them, it let a lot of Nazi war crimes uh, happen in the comics without having to concern themselves with what was going on in the real world. And mm-hmm. well, it's also, you, one could argue at the time that like, Having Captain America, we there like the famous issue of Captain America where like punches Hitler, but yeah. like having Captain America actually end World War II, for example, would be a little disrespectful to what's actually going on in World War II. Yeah, so yeah. you want to try to find stuff for him to do that aids the war effort without undermining or disrespecting the contributions of real life soldiers. Yeah, yeah, which I get, um, and I think that's important. I think it's mm-hmm. valid. I, I feel it was a really, really odd choice to continue with that tack in uh, Captain America, uh, the first Avengers, uh, because was it Avengers singular or Avengers plural? I, 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 I just had a little bit of word soup. No, it's a, I accidentally said Avengers. It's the Captain America, the first Avenger. I Avenger, was debating okay. whether or not um, to stop and correct myself. And I was <laughs> like, eh, it's OK. And then it turned into a whole thing. It's yeah. Captain America, the first Avenger. First Avenger. Um, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. Ca- I'm kind of surprised they just didn't go with, you know, just straight up revisionist history. It's like, OK, mm-hmm. uh, here here's Captain America. He he took care of this one, like sort of secret Nazi cabal. But it actually had like an an adverse or had a, like a, a very positive effect on the war. He actually changed the course of world war two, sort of like this weird historical revisionist thing that would have been, well, he kind of did a, that. An, an interesting tack. Well, but they, they that's, kept that's what they the did. Side. They did. They did the whole Hydra thing instead. And well, I realize so, that, but Hydra is very specifically shown to be a Nazi offshoot so that yeah. while everyone else was dealing with the regular evil Nazis, uh-huh. Captain America was dealing with the super Nazis right, that other right, soldiers right. couldn't handle on their own. So he helped and mm-hmm. did all this incredible stuff, but all the people who actually did the work to end World War II, they still did that. Captain yeah, America yeah. didn't take any of that away from them, which I think would have been in poor taste. I, I th- so, it I might have been in poor taste. I just, there there could have been a scene where, uh, like, this fictional character, Captain America, this kind of bold, almost innocent pure face of U.S. patriotism could have looked at, like, you know, don't actually dramatize it because it was too horrible to film in a PG-13 action film, but actually, like, learn about and discuss and be completely horrified by what Nazi the Nazis were actually doing during World That's, War II. That's, you know what, that that, that, that would have been, yeah, I, actually, I, it would have been like, great to address it, like honestly. My, it really would That sort of bold-face, yeah. soldierly uh, patriotism yeah kind of falls apart in the face of actual Nazi war atrocities. And I think uh, yeah. it, it could have gone a lot further. But, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for things to go further. People want to like get... superhero adventure. I was Captain the... America the First Avenger was trying to capture that kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark tone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think they succeeded to a degree. But again, the more you try to tackle something that is real mm. and relevant to this day and super important and had a lot of horrible impacts on a lot of people. Uh, the more responsibility you take on to do it respectfully, yeah, correctly. Yeah. And again, if you even slightly whiff it, again, you you might be able to say, oh, they did pretty good. Mm. Okay, but I also think that it is perfectly rational to say, but they could have done it better, and I think that's a fair point to make and discuss. I happen to like both the first Avenger and the Winter Soldier, but I think they are absolutely worthy of criticism in how they handle some real-world events and sanitize them a bit. 
And while Winter Soldier seemed pretty bold for when it came out based on what was going on in the blockbuster landscape, in retrospect, it seems like it didn't go nearly far enough. Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty, well, but I could I could definitely say at the time that there were decisions yeah. they could have made on the day that would have been a little bolder and would have definitely like not let America off the hook so yeah, easily. Yeah. Um, but you know, you, you look over. Um, I, I remember being really disappointed when uh, the the first like Avengers team up movie came out because it, it came out and it was superheroes fighting each other. It was a super villain with a magic gem. It was aliens invading and they fought fought the aliens. They fixed a big plane and they fought each other and then they get, gathered together and they fought aliens and yeah. And my attitude was one of really that's all that's all you people want to see is just superheroes doing superhero stuff and the answer is yeah that's what people wanted they wanted to see just superheroes doing superhero stuff i thought well no one if if they were going to go to the the bother of doing something that was pretty unprecedented at the time you know introduce the characters and then have a team-up movie which you know was considered earth-shattering in 2012 uh that they would do something kind of interesting storytelling wise they didn't really. They just sort of introduced the hmm. characters in previous movies and then had them do fight stuff. It's like, I see that stuff in the comics. What can you do different hmm. with a movie? Oh, nothing. You're not doing anything different than the movie. <laughs> I, You're just I feel like the first... dramatizing yeah. it in live action and with CGI animation. That's the only you've difference. You've got a good point. It's, it's, you've, the story's you've the got same. A good, you've got a good point, but I would argue, and, and to some extent, yeah, okay, fine. The movie nowadays feels pretty simplistic, but... I think Marvel had th- th- this was their goal just to show that it can be done because it hadn't before. Mm. So they're going to keep it real simple. We introduce all these characters that we like. We want to see him hang out. Mm. We want to see him fight, and we want to see him fight together. And as long as we do those three things and we keep it clean and we keep it simple, yeah. they're not going to fuck it up. So I think they tried to keep it simple just to prove that the concept could be effective. And then they got a little more ambitious later, and I think Age of Ultron did not work. It feels like there's a lot of... In addition to just <laughs> problems with the writing, mm. uh, it feels like it's kind of not telling like an interesting enough story in and of itself. But then, you know, Infinity War and, and, and Endgame were ambitious. I mean, it, it was, it was they, the same thing. They were thing. more ambitious. They the tried same the thing. Stuff. It was just more characters doing different things. It was the same kind of would, story. They're just getting together to I, fight. Well, uh, I don't, I'm not sure. Do, do you want Armistad Mopan's Tales from the City, but with superheroes? Like, I mean, here, what, 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 what are you hoping for that you're not getting here? Because, what, what I was, again, cool, <laughs> I but like, I want to, I'm curious, like, what, what you need that, yeah, that you're not getting. Uh, what do you need? Uh, well, and here, here's the weirdo in me. It's like I, I don't want to see any fighting in these movies. I don't want to. I don't want there to be a big action climax. I don't want to see them fighting off a supervillain. I want them to be hoodwinked by a supervillain, perhaps. It's like you get all these heroes together, and they're still not effective. Maybe make some sort of point about the reason you're getting these people together, other than just have an action sequence. You can just have an action sequence. And that's I always the most. That. That's always you know the the most boring part of the movie is the action sequence. I actually I actually agree with you mm. here. I mean I like a good action sequence, but it needs to be justified and it yeah. needs to and be done so, well. So they just um, s- spent multiple movies setting up an action sequence. It's like, well, you didn't need multiple movies for that. All you're doing is having the the characters <laughs> do violence. Uh, for me, do the final action witty, sequence is maybe, just uh, do something clever. I uh, think they do some fun things. Listen, I I think the final action sequence is just. Nothing but in your face fan service. And that's not a terrible problem, but it's not particularly interesting. I think that the whole 
we're going to time travel and go back to previous installments and uh, talk about how all of our main characters have evolved as people since then. Mm. That's that's an interesting choice. Uh, I appreciate. I don't think it's necessarily a great film, but I appreciate that Infinity War is incredibly unstructured <laughs> and has this weirdly lot, freewheeling yeah. Robert Altman quality, where we're just going to sort of bounce around from character to character, and eventually the Thanos thing is going to bring it all home. Like I actually like. I I think that they're trying to do something interesting structurally. But I'm with you that there's definitely more work needs to be done to make it. Um, what's what I'm looking for here? You know what? You know what I think it boils down to in some regards is that these movies feel the need to be big giant spectacles. Uh huh. And ironically, seeing more and more Marvel like stories go to television and be handled reasonably well, like to varying degrees. I don't think Moon Knight was great, but mm-hmm. like you see them like when you have more time to breathe. With stuff like WandaVision or Loki, and you realize that, like, yeah, here's where we get all that room for character interaction and development and to explore mm-hmm. ideas and themes together rather than just jump from one cool thing to the next. There's a reason why these stories found their initial popularity in serialization. Yeah. Because yeah, you can live with them yeah, and, for and extended periods. I and so I honestly uh, feel like the more the, the more we go on here, the more that like TV feels like a better fit for a lot of Marvel stuff, especially since Disney is willing to throw money at it. Yeah. yeah. And actually make it like, you know, it doesn't look cheap. Mm. It's cheaper than the movies, perhaps, but like it doesn't look cheap. Like you can actually like still make all the stuff that you would want in a superhero movie look pretty cool, yeah. which is mm. part of it too. Anyway, uh, I, I don't want to talk about Avengers anymore. I've, I've That's prob- right. Let's, let's do one just, more letter. I probably just one. alienated everybody by saying uh, action movies. Boo. Um, you know what, Whitney? Whitney, your perspective on the <laughs> action genre in general and superhero mm. movies in particular, I think, is well documented. And mm. I think what you have shown over the years is that it's not something you gravitate towards naturally, but when it's good, you do appreciate it. Well, it might not be your favorite thing, but you respect them to say, and that makes you not just like this grump. You just <laughs> don't. It's just it's not your taste. But when you a good version of it is put in front of you, you can appreciate it. That's all anyone can really ask. Because not mm-hmm. everything's going to be to everyone's taste. You're upfront about your taste. You explain your taste well, and you know. And I, I listen. I like to be critical too. Uh, but maybe I'm a slightly more fanboyish in some respects. So maybe the balance is out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, and, and uh, yeah, they're. Look, yeah, there's there are certain things that still get me excited. Like uh, when I watch you know, uh, a 1970s movie where Godzilla twists Mecha Godzilla's head off, you know I'm going to be right there. The, then well, I'm cheering, like, then I'm good. getting excited. You know, if, if guys in monster suits are wailing on each other, that's that's the kind of action I want to see. Uh, Everyone has simple pleasures. Yeah, it yeah. might not always be in the same medium. Some people like simple pleasures. I think everyone has a simple pleasure that they like in terms of like food or mm. music, some, some sort of creature uh, comfort, and, yeah. and and yeah, creature comforts. It's a great way of putting it. And I feel like there's that for for film, and and not everyone's gonna. The fact that a lot of people like the same thing for a while is okay, mm. but it's also okay to be more into other stuff. And yeah. that's fine too. <laughs> okay. So I uh, don't don't feel bad about it. Don't and again, if anyone feels alienated, uh, sorry. But we want to have frank conversations about how we feel about mm. movies, and we're not always going to agree on it. And the important thing is that we talk to each other and like are respectful. And I, I, I struggle with this as much as everybody. It's easy to be snarky, mm. but. Uh. 
I'm trying here. So uh, let's let's do one more letter and let's close it out. All right. Here's a letter from Andrew. And this is a kind of a significant letter. It's a good one to end on. Oh, dear. Um, it says, uh, from Andrew, it says, hello. Hello, all. Uh, firstly, thanks for the podcast on Star Hike. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is a Star Hike email. I was laughing so hard. It was truly amazing. If you don't know, I'm the poor sap that created it. Uh, oh my god <laughs> oh my yeah, this, god really that's amazing this is, this is andrew diamond the creator of star hike writing and wow uh, thank you so much for writing in and it says check out my imdb and uh if you would ever <laughs> want to chat about it i would love to after all this time 20 years ago to say that say the story of star hike they always say it started with good and in, good intentions but ended up as a total clusterfuck <laughs> Uh, trust me, what happened making it was far better than the show itself. You've got drama, love and sex, death of actors, lightning strikes, broadcasters wow. collapse, warehouse explosions, making a show by community, death threats from Red Dwarf fans, and so much more. Let's just say wow. that I still have nightmares about it. Honestly, I can laugh about it now. If you ever want to know a cursed project and how not to make sci-fi then look no further anyway i thought i would reach out as i honestly enjoyed your podcast about it kind regards andrew diamond uh, ceo of bazooka bunny limited creator of star hike uh thank you for writing wow. in i i hope we want to uh, I, i'm glad that you didn't listen to our podcast and hate us at the end of it um, yeah, which, which would have been your right. Sometimes, you know, we, we were critical as well as having fun with it. Um, will, uh, and, and indeed, like I've had people who like make movies and TV contact me about a review I did uh, of their work, and usually they're pretty cool. Usually they're very respectful. Sometimes they want to correct something maybe I got wrong or misinterpreted, and mm -hmm. uh, we can have a conversation about that. Uh, but every once in a while, it's you know they're they're they had a different take. Oh. And that's fine too. But it's really, really cool of you to reach out, and I just thank you so much, Andrew. For first off, you know it's hard to make anything, and it sounds like it was nearly impossible to make Star Hike. So, yeah. kudos to you for persevering and for making something that was interesting and fun to talk about. And again, it's widely available. You can see it on Tubi now. I think still for free, um, and you can listen to our show about it, which apparently is endorsed by the creator of Star Hike. So <laughs> that's a relief. It's it's nice to know oh, that well, we uh... that we towed a line where, of like being critical while being res respectful mm. enough that you could enjoy it. I'm glad we oh, could do that. That's yeah. tough to do. I'll, uh, I'll I'll say this for Star Hike. Um, mm. Okay, uh, Mr. Diamond, you wrote in, and you said that it was a clusterfuck, it was difficult to make, that people died, and it was a total disaster. That doesn't necessarily read on the show. It looks like you put something together. Uh, it was cogent, it had a premise, we, you were on record for how much we disliked it, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't call it like a, a, a clusterfuck of a production. It doesn't look like it was falling apart in front of us. It looks like you actually I wouldn't put have assumed together. it was a disaster. I just assumed it was cheap. Yeah. Like it's is, clearly, it's clearly you know, very low happens. budget. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, yeah. we're not a necessarily a big fan of the writing, but, uh, it, yeah, it didn't look like a good ideas though. on like screen. Really good ideas and, in that show for the record. Yeah. Some, some fun ideas. And yeah, if, if you, if it looked intentional, then you did something right. And uh, so I'll say that for Star Hike. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, listen, and seriously, just thank you for reaching out. Thank you for being cool. Thank you for appreciating what we tried to mm. do with the show. And thank you for making Star Hike. It was a, it was an exciting journey to go on. We we go on these journeys on Cancel Too Soon to like explore TV shows that didn't manage to find an audience that were canceled very quickly after one episode mm. or one season. Because we think they're fundamentally interesting. And it it means a lot to us that we could make a show about your show. Mm-hmm. that you could appreciate. So thank you for that. And uh, wow, that, that makes me feel really good. Thank you so much. That's that's really, really nice. <laughs> um, so on that note, uh, and, and uh, yeah, maybe we should try to reach out. That could be fun. But uh, on that note, uh, thank you everybody for listening to We've Got Mail. If you would like to participate in We've Got Mail, even if you didn't produce one of the shows that we reviewed <laughs> on our podcast, even if you didn't, uh, you can do so by emailing us. Our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. Uh, we also have a P.O. box, which we will get to next time because yes. my COVID isolation will end in a couple of days and we'll be able to do it. And we're sorry about that. And we'll do a whole big, uh, however many letters we get, we'll do them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Yeah, send it to uh, Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you would like to listen to any of our other exclusive shows, or even if you would just like to listen to our podcasts without any ads whatsoever, uh, you can do so over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. For even $1 a month, you get to vote for future episodes, you get the ad-free shows, you're going to get our new uh, upcoming uh, show, uh, Step Me Up, Step Me Down, where we're going to review every <laughs> single movie and episode of the Step Up franchise. Uh, we're going to we have a, a podcast called Only the Best where we review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture we just released an episode about the Best Picture nominees in 1948 we have uh, All Our Yesterdays our podcast where we review every single episode of Star Trek in order we missed one episode last week which was partially because we were sick and partially because there was an audio issue and we recorded an entire episode and we have to do it all over again yeah so <laughs> that, we'll, we'll come back we'll come back to that in like the next couple of days I will give you that episode in toto just it's going to be re-recorded it happens not often thank god but it happens yeah we've, we've um, lost a, just a couple just like a handful of episodes in the we've, past we've been doing this for over 10 years i would say the number of episodes that we were unable to release for technical reasons in the single digits mm-hmm. like and this is us putting out anywhere from five to ten podcasts a week sometimes so I feel really good about it. It's always embarrassing when it happens, though, so sorry about that. Um, and, of course, we have commentary tracks, and we have uh, Google Hangouts, or sorry, Discord Hangouts now. Uh, there's a ton of stuff over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. If you can subscribe, it really helps keep our show going. And if you can't, totally cool. Leave us a review if you find us anywhere, uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever. Mm-hmm. It always helps us uh, jump up the algorithm and find more people. It really means the world to us. Um, anyway, that's it for the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Mm-hmm.